0: This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com.
1: Michael Jones was just getting started as a teacher when Act 10 was introduced. The legislation would have profound effects not only on schools' financial operations, but on the morale of many educators. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about government and politics in Wisconsin. This is the final episode of our Act 10 anniversary series, hosted by Cap Times politics reporter Brianna Riley and education reporter Scott Gerrard. They talked to Michael Jones, who is now Dean of Students at Madison's West High School and President-elect of Madison Teachers, Inc., about how he believes Act 10 has changed his profession.
2: So uh, we're really excited to have Michael Jones with us today. Thank you so much for being here, Michael.
0: Yeah, pleasure to be here
2: i uh, really excited to add your perspective to this. So you, you were just getting into teaching when Act 10 happened. Can you tell us a bit about the time just before Act 10, how teaching was going, what you knew about unions and sort of your relationship to them up to that point?
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So before Act 10, I mean, I was into teaching about a year and a half. Um, I was actually, oddly enough, um, a freelance reporter for uh the for cap newspapers in my 20s um not a very good one but uh <laughs> but I was I was in there and uh then I decided to make a career change um in two two 2008-2009 and my first year was in Milwaukee so that was actually the year that uh so that was 09-10 so that was um you know Walker hadn't been elected yet, but he was, he was obviously campaigning. And, you know, I, it was my first time living, like I was born in Milwaukee, but I had not lived um, there until, until my wife and I moved there for, for the teaching job. And it was a, it was a, it was an interesting time just because um, there was a lot of, you know, unions were kind of like this monolith but it was kind of like this i don't know it's it maybe it's unfair for me to say but it felt like a very dusty monolith um i'd grown up the son of a teenster um you know we were very pro-union in my in my um at least on my dad's side of the family um you know i'd always had a respect for unions but also growing up during the clinton administration and kind of with the third way democrats there was also kind of an ambivalence about unions that they'd always be there and that like they would never really change. And especially being a black educator, there was kind of like this vibe that like, like I had to be a part of it, but like, um, because it was compulsory, it was not, but it wasn't like something that I was like actively thinking about. Um, In fact, my first year in Milwaukee, I specifically remember when we were going through teacher orientation, the MTEA's president at the time came in and he was very much like, uh, yeah just keep your mouth shut and uh, as long as they're not messing with your salary or your hours or if they're making you do overtime like don't talk to us like you're a first year teacher you don't really know what you're doing um, which was very fair I didn't know what I was doing as a teacher you know I think most teachers if they're completely honest your first three years you're just still even if you went to a school of ed you're still trying to figure stuff out and and um so my after that year in Milwaukee, my wife and I moved back to to Madison because she works for the university and uh, I got a job in Middleton. So I was like only halfway through my job in my first year at Middleton High School as a special ed teacher when Act 10 happened. And it was. Um, yeah. It was, and I was a part of the MEA the Middleton Education Association uh, before that, but I wasn't particularly involved. It was like, I was proud to be a union member, but I was just proud to just be there, not like get actively involved or know what uh, like specific things like we were advocating for or fighting for. I was just like, listen, I'm just trying to focus on, on surviving teaching, like surviving this, this, uh you know, this whole rigmarole and all the transitions in my life and, And I wasn't really interested in like the politics of like, you know, unions or union busting or anything like that. It was just like, just sign me up. I'll pay my dues. But I'm just more focused on the teaching.
3: And then I guess, what do you remember about your initial reaction to hearing about the proposed legislation that would later become Act 10, um, especially given your relationship with unions up, up to that point?
0: honestly, it was a lot of confusion. Like I had to do a lot of like, okay, what's going on? Why are people crying? Why are people upset? Why are my colleagues like, like for lack of a better term, freaking out about this Um, seems like things are pretty chill here in Middleton. Like, you know, (laughs) or, you know, like what, why is it that big of a deal? Um, But then once I talked to, especially veteran teachers, um, teachers who are in different parts of their lives, whether they're on the verge of retirement or they just had a kid or they were, were, you know, they had a beloved one who was going through something like, you know, dealing with cancer or, you know, going through these changes that honestly at that point in my life, I had not really been dealing with. Um, and, and they were explaining to me how it would affect them, how it would affect their ability to not only just live their life, but then that obviously affects their ability to do their job. And um, then I understood the gravity. I began understanding the gravity of the situation. Um, it, didn't, it didn't really hit until like, honestly, I had a like a look through the contract and realizing like, okay, this could go away, this could go away, this protection could go away. And being a second year teacher, when you're like honestly making more mistakes than you're making good moves, as a teacher, like anything that takes away my ability to make mistakes um, in a safe environment is is scary. Like it's just uh, so like then so first it was confusion, then it was fear because then I was like, oh crap! Like I just made this big career change. I just put a lot of money into this. I'm not getting a lot of. I'm not getting a lot of money out of this. <laughs> like no one goes into education to get paid. Um, like, and they're talking about, like, really taking an ax to that, like, what the heck am I going to do? I just jumped (laughs) into this profession. So there was a lot of uncertainty. And then it kind of eventually morphed into, into anger. Like, why is, why are they coming after of all of our problems? You know, I mean, this is 2009, 2010, we're still in the recession. We're still in, you know, a lot of economic uncertainty. We're still, involved pretty deeply into our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm just like, why are they coming to teachers at this? Like of all the groups, you know, so then it was just like, then I was just pissed. Um, You know, so, so, you know, it was a lot of emotions like that I had to kind of, kind of work through, you know, during those first few days. Did you grasp early on that if the
2: legislation passed, it could, really shape your career and education from that point, And sort of how did it feel to recognize that?
0: Uh, it was extremely frustrating because it's like, as a teacher, there are various levels of control, especially like being a special ed education teacher. Like I have certain control over certain things. There are so many things out of my control as a teacher, like what goes on in in um, the lives of my students, there are certain aspects that I can I can really influence, but there's other parts of their life that, like you know, is like I'm not I'm not their parent, you know. And when I'm realizing, okay, this is just going to be straight up harm for the sake of harm. Like it's not like meant to stabilize the budget. It's just meant to just like kind of take an axe to like this monolith um, that's used to that's mostly been been a force for protecting people and helping people um you know it got it it really made me question like okay do I really want to stick to this could I just go scurrying back to freelance writing or my job at the bank or or or, uh you know do I you know so it made me question um you know whether or not this was something I truly wanted to do and ultimately I said yes like this is something I, I'm committed to. So then I was like, okay, if I'm going to commit to this, like, then I got to fight for it. And, um, and it, that's when I began like just doing a ton of research and spending a lot of my time just talking to my colleagues and listening to them and just kind of not much like knowing the quantitative like effects of it, but just the qualitative, like the fact that, okay, I'm going to walk into this space and I'm going to feel like from the moment I'm walking into the moment I leave this building, I'm just going to feel like I'm under attack. And then when I leave, I'm going to feel under attack because all I'm reading is how much I'm a, I'm a leech off of society and, and how I'm being greedy. Cause I want like affordable healthcare and like, you know, it's like, there's not a lot of perks to being a teacher. And then, you know, the very untrue, belief that we just like lounge around on during the summers you know they're pulling out all these like you know stereotypes or teacher tropes um to say how easy we have it and i look i'm not saying that it's like the same thing as like you know digging a ditch you know in terms of like physical labor or anything like that but but teaching is a physically mentally and emotionally draining profession. And you don't get in. You don't stay into this profession and you don't get into this profession without being like committing almost everything to it. And you have to be able to have the right to protect that. If you don't, then, then um, it honestly makes your job not only tougher, but you then become a worse teacher because <laughs> you're more focused on that than about helping the kid in front of you. If you're just worried about like, you know, if you're just walking on eggshells the entire time, like no good teaching really happens from that.
3: Um, as part of your, I guess, your activity during that time, um, to what extent were you sort of at the Capitol just taking in the scene um, and and what moments, you know, stuck out to you still about the month or so um, during these massive protests? And, and how did it feel to be part of all of that?
0: You know at first um so being in middleton it was kind of like you heard it as a rumor right like you just heard hey you know people are gathering on the capitol people madison teachers are getting involved some kids are getting up there so at first i was just and i'm i graduated with a poli-sci degree i'm very i was always very like interested in politics so at first i just came there just because i was like fascinated i hadn't been to a lot of protests um or anything even like when i was in college like during during the iraq war like i was not one to march for anything um you know and a rally for much so like i was it, i was just kind of interested and fascinated but once i got up there you know someone stuck a sign into my hand and like you know people began chanting and people just began talking talking to each other and then there was there's really some of the unique moments that I remember was like kind of, cause I went there by myself and then all of a sudden I saw some colleagues that I honestly had not talked with in the building that all of a sudden I was having conversations with like on the Capitol Square and like that feeling of, oh, we actually, now we have some, it felt like we had something in common. Like we had a common purpose where there wasn't one before. Um, so that was that was like, you, that was particularly Um, impactful. I mean, but then I also remember during the first, I forgot if it was the second or third day when they began, when um, the assembly uh, committee began taking hearings and, you know, you had literally lined out of the Capitol, of people ready to talk for like 24 hours. Um, One of my colleagues went up there and I won't use her name, but she's just she's a special ed teacher. There's one she's a special ed teacher that works particularly with um, students with pretty significant disabilities, like you know, you know, changing diapers and and helping them with toileting and and like this woman like gives like gives her all every single day. Just like an amazing is an amazing educator amazing person and she's just she goes out there and she's just up she's in tears and she's like just like shame on you shame on you for making me have to come up here and like tell you like that i deserve to be treated like a human being and i deserve like rights and respect like the things i like and the thing she does is out of love for her kids and then being told that if she questions it she doesn't love these kids enough or she's in it for the wrong reasons was just like was an insult to her honor and to her humanity. And I just remember really just being taken aback by the power of of what she was saying because it was they were trying to not just strip like certain rights or you know change the laws but you know in a, in a such such a profound way they're stripping at our humanity at our, at the reason we do this. And um, you know I remember that and then of course I was just from then on, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be here every night. Like I'm gonna talk to my you know, my wife's you know, my wife got interested, you know, and then I'm like marching, going into the Capitol and and chanting and singing and connect talking with people and being like, Okay, what are we doing next? What you know, what's the what's the next move? Is it signing this petition? Is it like getting in line to speak? Um, you know, one of the things that I think really fueled my fire even to this day was i was in line to speak and it was like three o'clock in the morning and um for those who haven't been in the Capitol before like if there's a long line there's kind of like this waiting room big waiting room and i'm literally like on the ground like doing schoolwork like working on students ieps and like classwork on my computer on my laptop like on the floor and i've been there for like you know i think would, if i was there at three i was there for about eight hours so I, I was in line for about eight hours and around two or three o'clock um i specifically remember robin voss being like okay we gotta shut this down because like like and i was literally like i either person two or person three in the line to like speak and i had thought so hard about what i was gonna say and being like hey this is not helping young educators and black educators and and um He was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. And he's just so dismissive. He was just like, if if you wanted to speak before, you should have got here earlier. I was like, I was just like, dude, I was teaching. I was teaching and I had like meetings, like specifically, I was instructed to stay at school, even though other people were taking time off because I'm probationary at the time. And I remember just being really, really just not just um, annoyed, but just like, I was just I was just shaking with anger because like, like this guy just like dangled, or you know, kind of dangled its power in front of us, and it was like, "I have the power to do whatever you want, and obviously, I have this power over you because you don't care. It was like, because I care about kids is the reason <laughs> like I've been doing all this, and um, it wasn't to stoke my own ego, and it it was just it just solidified my absolute distaste for voss and that whole apparatus it was one of those like okay we can we're gonna do this because we can do this not because it makes the state better not because it helps kids not because it helps our communities or it's in the right direction this is just because we can and and uh i will i will always remember that sort of love that pathology in terms of what it of uh of decision making that if you're going to do something because just because you can because you can hurt someone that that says a lot about your who you are as a person or as a leader this podcast is brought to you by exact sciences join the madison based team working to lead earlier cancer detection Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs.
2: In the decades since those protests and since you went through all of that, has the law affected the roles you've taken on, you know, including more broad positions like your current dean of students job, your roles with MTI?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because you, it's, I mean, the law stripped away so many protections that like, you know, you are always, I mean, I haven't had a year as an educator where I've had more resources than I had the previous year. You know, every year it's, what are we cutting? It's not, what are we adding? Or what are we doing differently to support these kids? It's, what are we cutting? Um, sometimes it's cutting a position. Sometimes it's cutting a program. Sometimes it's cutting the supplies or access to technology. Sometimes it's cutting transportation, but I've like, and that, and so not only does it change what you do like on a day-to-day basis or what I do on a basis, whether that's how I figure out special ed supports, how I figure out, um, you know, back when I was a special ed teacher, but as dean of students, like what kind of interventions we can provide and what kind of support programs we can provide, um, and making me and others have to think like creatively how can we do the most with the least amount of money or with no guarantee of money but it changes your mindset because it makes everything done in a cynical way there's like i would honestly have to say most of the majority of my decision making process as an educator is not is it's there's always this balance of okay i want to do something that can bring joy or improve the life of this child or the prove the life of my community but which is tough because part of my job as dean and before I was dean, I was what was called a positive behavior supports coach. So I'm like my whole like livelihood was around like trying to create positive and make school a positive environment, but it's always imbued with the cynicism of it can go away just like that. Um, Just what Act 10 taught me was that like they do not give – like knowing like the powers that be do not give a damn about, about you, the good heart and your good intentions. And that can't help, but like toxic, you know, toxify like your, your intent because you have to be guarded. You have to be ready for it to go away. You have to be ready for your position to get cut. You have to be ready for, for um, the money to not be there. When someone says they're going to fund you or they're going to support you, like, that's nice it makes you smile right then but then you automatically say you don't expect it to actually happen until the money's in your account or until the thing actually happens so i think it just in, like and that's not and that's just my personal experience but i can't think of an administrator a teacher someone who works on the school board someone who like works in mti where like you know we are all in a i won't say dystopian but just like you're no one's expecting good things to happen <laughs> Um, And that and that wears down on people. I mean, that causes that's that's a that's a cynicism and that's a that's a kind of like a wound that um, that just still festers, uh, even when positive things happen. Like when Governor Evers got elected, that was I mean, I say this like, you know, I was extremely ecstatic about it, um, but I wasn't like. Oh well, now this will change our whole education system. Like I was just like, all right, well, this is good. Let's smile and let's dance, you know. Um, you know, like when we you know we're talking about Judge Dallet or Judge Kurofsky or the Supreme Court, you know, uh, making certain decisions or elections going. I guess my political ways. Like I'm excited, but I, I still I have I'm very cynical about like good things actually happening from that even now like i know this is going to be airing in march but like you know as we're talking about transitioning and the biden administration and 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 like the department of education betsy devos no longer being there like i i have very low expectations or low low anticipation that like the federal government is going to do something significantly enough that will positively impact the lives of my kids and the lives of my community just because I never there's like there's someone always out there with with malicious intent um, out to like harm the system just because they can because it's a power move. And uh, so I just I'm always just kind of on guard. And then I'm also on guard to make sure I don't transfer that to the (laughs) to the children that I'm around and to my colleagues. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, it just it impacts. There are ways. I have hard hard enough time to think about ways that it doesn't impact how things go. It's like asking how how does racism impact my life as a as a black man or a black educator in Madison or Wisconsin. It's like I can't think of an aspect where it doesn't. So it's just like you know it is what it is.
2: And sort of on top of how it impacts the day to day, Acton is almost become used as political shorthand um, by, by people, uh, including recently here in MMSD related to negotiations with MTI. What do you make of that and how it's sort of become a, a figure of speech almost?
0: I think it's, uh, it's one of those things like, and this, I'm not equating this as the same way, but there are certain events in people's lives that feel, for lack of a better term, universal. Like anyone who was around then remembers that even if you are tangentially connected to it like you are still connected to it and so like I think of like for instance like 9-11 like I'm not saying Act 10 is the same as 9-11 by any means but or like even like COVID-19 like it was this thing we're all experiencing like no one's no one's immune from this experience and so Act 10 was a Reasonable sh- has been a reasonable shorthand, but I feel like it's a shorthand that's honestly getting. Um, the further we are away from it, the less impactful that you know uh, the statement is. The act itself is still highly impactful, but the statement itself, because now I mean, we have a lot of educators who let don't remember what it was like before act 10. I barely remember what it was like before act 10. I was only a year and a half in. I you know, when my experience is different than talking to someone who's now in their 30th year of teaching and act 10 happened in their 18th year or their 19th year of teaching, you know, because they had a whole like like the majority of their career was before the seismic event. So, um i think it's a useful shorthand but i think it's a shorthand that honestly we have to kind of we have to kind of revisit to talk about to process this through and see all the ways it has led to a ripple effect of how how we've dealt with things because there are so many things between that that still impact us now that that uh that impact and like for instance you know you brought up okay we brought that up like when we were talking about the district you know um our district negotiations. I mean, as someone who's been part of those district negotiations, the reason we did bring it up was because Act 10, I mean, one of the aspects of Act 10 is that it empowers school boards. It forced school boards, even well-intentioned school boards, school boards that I think would be for our friendly to teachers to act in ways that, that harm teachers and kids unintentionally. And so, and so and gives them the power to make unilateral decisions, which don't require teacher input or employee input or worker input. And when you are uh, systematically shutting people out of a process, that can't help anything feel like democratic. So like our, MMS, our current iteration of our MMSD board, I'm pretty sure I, I doubt any of them voted for Trump. You know, I'm guessing like if you ask them like to a T, they would consider themselves good diehard like Democrats or liberals or progressives or whatever kind of left leaning like adjective you want to attach. But at the same time, some of the behaviors or some of the behaviors even with people in Doyle, because they have because our district has systematically been starved of resources, because our leadership has been starved of of these sort of things because we've all, everyone's had to do more with less. um, You know, we end up turning on each other. We end up like, (laughs) you know, we end up like, you know, having these sort of power moves done where it's like, okay, we don't have the time or resources to get everyone to the table, you know, and maybe that's their perspective, but our perspective is no, we're going to force our way in. And this is, it was our way of reminding the powers that be or the community, Hey, this is, this is what act 10 was intended to do was to turn us against each other. Even if like theoretically we're all on the same page of trying to do what's right for kids in our community. Like this is why they want us to fight like this. They're starving us so that we turn on each other and we can't, you, you can't go the easy route of just letting processes happen and start and like, and allowing others to attack, attack us. Like we got to, we got to stick together and if you say you're on my side you got to prove it and you can't and and you know you can't hide behind act 10 because one thing i i wanted to say this when when i was you know about a week or two in you know when the crowds were then getting massive, you know, when we were seeing a hundred thousand people on the weekends and people were coming in from all over the country to, to cover it and to also march alongside. And we were getting solidarity people coming in from like, you know, like, you know, I saw like New York city firefighters <laughs> and police officers, or, or maybe it was people who confiscated helmets and hats. I don't know if then uh, I'd be scared, but like, you know, it was a, it became a national thing. Right. Right part of walking around and doing those marches, I would run into members of the Middleton Cross Plains School Board on those marches, holding signs, being like, we're with you, solidarity. And that made me feel good as a teacher. I'm like, okay, my board's behind me. The next year they tried to get rid of just cause, you know, the year after that, they stripped, they tried, they stripped worker protections. I mean, and when I spoke up on it, like at a board meeting, it put a cap on my career at Middleton. I was affected. I was I was explicitly told I cannot advance for higher up because the superintendent did not like what I said at the school board meeting, which was um, you know, their prerogative. But like that is that's one of those intimidation tactics that didn't really exist before Act 10. But then I saw and the same people that were that were like marching around the Capitol. All of a sudden we're like didn't hesitate to remove worker rights. And then how does that impact us now? Like, you see, I'm in a district where we're not returning to school because it is not safe for us and our kids to return to school. Middleton, they're set they're forcing kids and staff back into those buildings. And I still have friends who teach in those district in that district. They are They are scared, not only for themselves, but for their kids who are immunocompromised and that they don't have a plan. And I'll just speak on it, because if they say something, then they're going to then there's going to be retribution from administrators and from the board. There's still people on that board who are from there from Act 10 and like who said, oh, yeah, I marched. I'm I'm solid with teachers and then wouldn't hesitate to I won't even say stab stab their workers in the back. They stabbed them in the front, you know. So like, you know, it's it's a this this act like, you know, it revealed a lot (laughs) about about people's intentions. Um, Yeah.
3: And that's a really good transition, actually, to my next question, because I wanted to ask you You sort of bring it back to the challenges that educators are facing today. You know, some, especially on the conservative side, have said the way school districts have responded to the COVID-19 pandemic this school year has shown that teacher unions still have plenty of power where they exist. What do you make of that? And can you talk a little bit more broadly about the effect of Act 10 on teachers, teachers unions through to today? So I would say
0: the effect it hits differently in a place like Madison or Milwaukee, because we are kind of liberal enclaves, even with um, the anti-union actions that might occur, like, they're done in a different way like i will say like when i go to like we act like state conventions when i talk to educators that live in more conservative areas when they even just do something like wear a red t-shirt <laughs> or say i support the my union they get threats they get like intimidation tactic they're intimidated like they are not if they say something on facebook they're told like you know stay in your home like um this idea that like unions have the equal amount of power that we did, like, you know, 10, 10, 11 years ago is just like, I would like them. I don't know what, you know, I would assume those conservatives, if they're living out in the, in the (laughs) Milwaukee suburbs, like have them reach out to a teacher and be like, do you feel comfortable speaking up for your, for, for your rights? Or if you say something like, you know, people will, people just straight up come after you and maybe I shouldn't say because we're in a liberal enclave or in a liberal bubble because I've I mean I'm getting you know and this is maybe this is hearsay I you know this is just you know when I'm talking to educators who aren't in Madison and they're in Oregon or they're in Sun Prairie or they're in Verona like Middleton um of my friends who are not exactly in Green Bay but outside Green Bay like You know these are small enough communities where you run into someone at the grocery store you know people will say stuff about (laughs) like that you don't care about kids like that's if if you want to like really attack a teacher you can if someone accuses you of not caring about the livelihoods of of your kids like that's an extremely personal attack um i mean honestly i mean and we got it here too right the state journal makes their hay off of editorializing how i how like we don't how the unions are too powerful and don't care about kids but like um i would say those folks like like talk to some of my colleagues some of my friends like who like get threats <laughs> for be, for just saying that they're union um you know come to the WEAC convention when we're talking about certain certain things like even just being like hey we want to support black lives matter and someone saying like I support black lives matter or a teacher who lives out like in the Marchfield area. I support black lives matter. But at the same time, if I put one of those signs up, like someone's gonna, someone's gonna burn it (laughs) like in the minute it's out there. Like, you know, the, the strength of our union has been um, decimated because of act 10 and not, you know, just our rights as workers, but also in our ability to just speak on things that we believe deeply about um and i and you know if i'm gonna have the privilege of speaking to you or speaking kind of in a safer space because i'm in liberal madison that doesn't mean that i i'm gonna ignore that that's that's a reality and i would say the conservatives who who uh say that you know unions have too much power it's like man like (laughs) you're just they're just mad because unions still exist because their intent is to kill unions so our mere existence is they think is too powerful um which is why i'm gonna stick with them outside of sort of the union
2: aspect of this how would you say act 10 has impacted the teaching profession
0: more broadly i mean yeah i mean you you both are both are in the field of education how many people are excited to be teachers how many kids like you know like I mean we you know people I mean I can't usually when I hear, when I hear from a young person, Hey, I'm interested in teaching. I spend my time trying to convince them not to be a teacher or just being like, Hey, are you sure you want to be a teacher? Cause you have to deal with this, 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 and this, like you have to deal with all of this. And some kids are like, yeah, I still want to do that. And it's like, then I will fight to the death to make sure that you are a teacher. Right. But it is not a, it is, I mean, you see the numbers, even before the pandemic, teacher teacher ed programs, like the numbers are dwindling, um, are, you know, rapidly dwindling across the country. Um, it's a national problem. And we can't all of a sudden disconnect that from national and local attacks on teachers. Why would you go into to a profession that doesn't pay well, that has a hard cap on how much you get paid? Um, and also just kind of craps on like your respectability and says yeah people can just walk all over you tell you what to do and ultimate and ultimately disrespect you and harm your emotional. like people like this is such a taxing profession um i've seen relationships be destroyed <laughs> like people get divorced because of this job i've seen people get estranged from like their family members their children because their children are mad because they don't spend enough time with them because they're grading papers until like until midnight people who lose like you know they lose out on like opportunities to spend with their fan like with their loved ones or just even build connections um you know the amount of i mean i'm in therapy i'm on antidepressants i'm in I'm on. I'm. I'm on. am on a lot. I'm on certain medications, and that's because I'm in this profession that I love, and I say that with all you know, you know all the all the love in my heart for for being a teacher. I'm not going to leave, but this takes a toll. I've seen too many. I I see people who are leaving. Like I I see posts from people who are leaving right this minute because they're just like, it's it's not. It's, it's not healthy to be a teacher and or to be in education in general. Um, and then you're putting them constantly in harm's way, like and in like COVID or safety measures and things like that. Like, you know, I mean, what does it say about how we treat teachers that like when the capital is being in, in, during the Capitol riots and when those, you know, treacherous, treacherous people like come in, the people who are arguably the most calm, at least from what I saw on Twitter were people who used to be teachers, either people who used to be teachers or people who used to be soldiers. Cause they have both been drilled on how to deal with with, with shooters like Jamal Bowman knew what to do because as a, as a New York city teacher and educator he knows what you have to do in order to evade a shooter if and it's sad that like like if we put a group of, a group of fifth graders in the capital at that time they would have known what to do because they've been drilled within an inch of their lives on what to deal with hostile shooters like that's the sort of environment we are sending people into we are sending teachers into our children into and our teachers are getting paid 35000 dollars a year, and then when they ask, "Hey, can I get a raise? How come I'm not getting the cost of living adjustment?" You know, because things are more. It's not like things are getting cheaper in Madison. We're told that we're greedy. We're told that we don't care about kids. You know, so then at a certain point, you're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to get my. I'll go into the private sector. Or I'll just go do something else. You know, and you know, people who leave for some leave for higher paying jobs. Some people people leave for lower paying jobs because they're just like the emotional pain that I don't have to deal with in terms of being a teacher. Like I'm sleeping better. I'm, (laughs) I'm like, I'm people who leave the profession. They're like, I, I feel better about, I'm like reconnecting with my spouse. My kids are talking to me again. Like, like it's, it's weird. It's it's, and it's, so why would I want to expose young people to that? If, if I, if I want to make sure that they're absolutely positive and certain that this is their path, cause it is a, it can be a fulfilling path, but we do not make it an environment to be fulfilling under any circumstance. And, you know, that's a, that's just a reality. That's just like, and that's systemic. That's not like the faults of one particular person or one particular group, you know that's not the school board's fault that's not the superintendent's fault that's just the fault of how our society approaches education and our lack of investing in it and our skepticism in it and our hate like downright like hatred of the system to the point that like yeah no one wants to no one want, people don't want to buy into it unless unless they absolutely have to
2: yeah, going, you starting in journalism and then going to teaching, you you really <laughs>
0: were not. Man, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>, let me <laughs> tell <yourself> you. There. <laughs> Before, let me tell you about, you know, so when I was 17 and I went to UW-Madison, I was convinced I was going to go into foreign policy, like foreign <laughs> service. State Department was one of the reasons I chose UW-Madison because of their international studies program. But then 9-11 happened. And it was, like, it was not, like, a good thing to be involved in, like, foreign policy and be involved in politics in, like, 2004, 2005. And around then, I was writing for the Daily Cardinal. I was, like, okay, I'm going to get into print journalism, you know? And, like, you know, that, <laughs> that, was, that was not smart. And in between then, I was working as a, you know, when I was freelancing, um, I lived, I moved back home for a year, and I was a mailman. So, like, I've worked for the Postal Service. So, like, you know, and after that, while I was freelancing here in Madison, I worked at M&I Bank um, in loans. So, like, I've been a part of, like, I keep on jumping into really, really stupid, <laughs> like, like positions. So I'm thinking my next step is to, like, get more involved into politics, see if I can take it down from the inside there. Cause it like seems like whatever institution I jump into is just like, it's, it crumbles, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's just too cynical. I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> I just, it's like a four, it's like Forrest Gump in reverse. I keep on like, like <laughs> making
2: of, jokes. that is a great reference. That is a great reference. And, and a good reference to end on besides me saying go daily Cardinal alums. Um, Got to get yeah. that in there. Uh, especially as we have a Herald alum as the third
0: person on this call,
2: but I can we cannot let this
3: stand. We <laughs> outnumber
0: her, so Scott, you—you you didn't tell me that we were going to ha- be with a Badger Herald alum on this. I was <laughs> not pre- like if I knew this was going to happen, I would have said no. I- <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know how white people say I have a black friend? I have friends who, are, who wrote for the, for the Badger Herald. I have some friends, you know, I have, I, I know people who are for the Badger Herald. They can be wonderful people. They're not particularly good at football or softball, but, you know, they are.
2: True.
3: That is true. Yeah.
0: They can be, they have the capacity to be great, usually after they leave the Herald, because I mean, you, know, kind of, you get that toxicity out of you. <laughs> but, like, you know, you know, more power to you. You know, I trust you. If Scott, if Scott vouches for you, then I'll, then I'll, I'll uh, give you the benefit of the doubt. She's
2: one I of the. Good
3: ones. Oh, thanks, Scott.
2: <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for for spending this time to talk us through this today. We we really appreciate uh, being able to have your perspective as a part of this series.
1: Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. This was the final episode of our Act 10 series, reported by Brianna Riley and Scott Gerard, and produced by me, Jesse O'Poyan. To read more Act 10 coverage or to get in touch with us, go to captimes.com.